Fennel Captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today in Rank Amateur, I'm back, finally. Uh, after a long hiatus, as many of you know, I am finally back. And this uh, this hiatus is due to a variety of reasons, uh, mostly due to AP tests at the start of it. Uh, the April through May was just absolutely insane for AP testing, so I was not able to do basically anything. I actually didn't get on World of Warships for two months. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been a while, and I'm a bit rusty coming back to World of Warships, not gonna lie. And, uh, as I was finally getting done with AP tests, my computer died. So, uh, after a very long time of diagnosing things, I figured out it was the, uh, the CPU that had gone. So I was, uh, using a Ryzen 3 2200G, so it was a very old CPU, uh, from, I think, 2018. Yeah, 2018. So, uh, since it was on the old AM4 socket, I decided, decided that it was, uh, it was, it was time for a new CPU, so, or in a new computer in general. So, since my, uh, case was too small to support a liquid cooler, I basically just bought a new setup, and uh, we're running, everything's basically top of the line, except my graphics card's only a 4070. Yeah, uh, it was, it was expensive, running a Ryzen 9, uh, 9750, or 7950. So it's, uh, 16-core, and, uh, runs very fast. It's actually idling when it plays World of Warships, which is, which is very nice. So, uh, anyways, we're on to a new portion of World of Warships. It, I, I have been keeping up with the news. There's been quite a bit that's been going on, uh, and we'll since the, it's been so long since I've last been on, we'll we'll have to gloss over some things. So, uh, you guys ready to go through this? So, last recorded on the 18th of uh, 18th of March, actually. So that was when the 11th season of Ranked Battles went on. Then we had 12.2, which brought uh, trouble in the hot tub. And the new Pan American Cruisers. And uh, after that, we went a little while without really seeing anything. Uh, there was a USS Wyoming giveaway. Uh, some, yeah, some things for new players and things like that. USS Illinois came along, which is literally a really big Des Moines on a on an Iowa hall, essentially. It's uh, I've heard some some good things about it, some bad things about it. It doesn't seem to be super overpowered, at least from what I've seen. Uh, but it also doesn't seem like it's uh, bad, really, at all. It's just kind of a really, really different gameplay style. Uh, there was actually some uh, evidence that the U.S. Navy did plan to do something like that uh, in uh, with the Illinois. They were planning on making some larger cruisers, but that obviously never came to fruition. Uh, British submarines are a bit insane, uh, they came along and some new rank battles. And then we had a bunch of special events, a Hugo Dry Dock. Um, and we had 12.3, which introduced uh, seashells, the map. or I think it's Seychelles, but, you know, everyone's calling it seashells. Uh, we have a better DZP now, uh, Deseven Provincia. It's the Admiral de Grau, or Admiral Grau. Or, I don't know how to say that in Spanish. But, um, yeah, it's literally just a better DZP. After that, we have the Cure Dockyard, the Dyson. Uh, we have more unique upgrades that have been introduced, more ranked battles, uh, different premium containers, uh, different reward missions, and all sorts of different things. Um, it pan <laughs> tons of things about Pan American cruisers and stuff. Uh, I mean, I think most of you are going to know about this. Uh, we went a really long time without an update, actually. Then 12.4 introduced European Destroyers. This is the newest update. Uh, yeah, so Return of Convoy, Pan American Cruisers are now fully available for everyone to research. I haven't really seen a whole lot of them lately, but uh, that could just be my matchmaker. I haven't played that many matches. Uh, new clan battles, uh, Popeye the Sailor Camouflage for Colorado... And that's that's pretty much it. There's really nothing interesting that's happened in World of Warships after that point. Uh, a few bulletin boards and things like that. Uh, different uh, combat missions for Jutland. 
Um, yeah, it makes me want to yawn after that. There's not really much uh, other than those European destroyers, which seem really interesting. It's a smoke radar combo, which can can be very, very powerful, but they can only fire high explosive, and they, uh, yeah, they're, they're radically different than the other European destroyers, which is uh, pretty interesting. They have high-speed torpedoes, low damage. That's basically the same thing as the other European destroyers, except they have a rather short range, according to World of Warships uh, website. And they also ha have a smoke screen, like I said, smoke radar combo, large HP pools, which seems to be the new norm for destroyers that are introduced into the game. And uh, they have flat, cell flat shell trajectory ballistics starting from tier 8 and up. And they only start, uh, this new branch only does only starts at tier 5. So it's similar to the Japanese destroyer split. And I think a decent amount of these are actually real, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it for all the warships news. And I've neglected to really say what ship we're doing uh, for today's episode. That's going to be the Japanese tier 10 battleship Yamato. Yes, I have actually been quite enjoying this ship uh, while I was playing it, uh, both two months ago and uh, recently. I think it's it's a very potent ship. It is the oldest tier 10 battleship in the game, and it's still got it. Power creep has had nothing on the Yamato. And to be completely fair, World of Warships has protected the Yamato largely from uh, being made obsolescent. There is no other tech tree uh, tier 10 that has the overmatch potential that Yamato has, and yes, you can argue that the uh, uh, what's it, the incomparable and the uh, Shikishima and things like that, and of course the super ships, right? I suppose technically those are tech tree now. Um, they all have their overmatch and things like that, but Yamato has the overmatch without having as much of the overpenetrations, right? Because uh, incomparable and uh, and, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm forgetting the name of the super ship, uh, for the Japanese battleships. Uh, yes, the Satsuma. The Satsuma, it has, obviously, very large guns, very large overmatch, and it's very effective at, uh, dealing with battleships and things, but it tends to overpen cruisers a lot, and I know uh, everyone's gonna try and send me, uh, different clips of, uh, people demolishing cruisers and Satsumas. Yes, it does happen, but a lot of times you get overpens, and overpens do happen in Yamato, they happen actually quite frequently, but it's not as severe as with a Satsuma or something like that, and you don't really get a whole lot going from the 460s to the 510s. Right, I mean, you've already overmatching the thresholds that you need to. There, there are a few more minor thresholds that you pass, but that 32 millimeter threshold is really what you need to pass. And the Yamato does that to an excellent extent. It's also fairly accurate for a battleship. It can you you can get a ridiculous reload on this thing, uh, since especially since it's on U.S. Navy battleship, you don't really have to run that uh, second artillery plotting room mod or anything like that. So it can run the reload mod, and it runs it very effectively. I've, especially in arms race battles, it's pretty wicked getting an 18-second reload on a 460mm gun. And you start out with a 26-second reload, or around that. And it, I mean, sending 9 460mm uh, shells downrange every 26 seconds is pretty wicked. Uh, this, this thing can dish damage out. It can't really take it as well, because it is a Japanese battleship, but it does have 97,000 hit points, and it's got the best torpedo damage reduction in the game, which has also been protected uh, by the uh, developers of Wargaming. Uh, it's protected them by just not making anything that's really comparing to that. So, it, like I said, it's been largely protected by... Uh, or from power creep by the developers, I think largely because of its symbolic uh, status in World of Warships. But, I mean, I, it's still very relevant today. So after that little side uh, track here, we're going to get into its specifications as it appears in real life. So the displacement of Yamato. Actually, Yamato was commissioned in March 19... or was ordered in March 1937. Uh, it's laid down in November 1937, launched in August of 1940, and commissioned on the 16th of December 1941. Yes, it was commissioned just after Pearl Harbor. Uh, so at this point, the Japanese and the Americans were at war. 
Uh, displacement was 65,027 tons uh, normal, and then 71,659 tons full load. Yes, this was the largest battleship by almost every measurement that we can have. Uh, it was not the fastest, but it was certainly the largest. The length was 862 feet 10 inches overall. Uh, I believe that is actually shorter than the Titanic, and the Titanic was 882 feet, which is kind of interesting. Um... Uh, I'm going to confirm that real quick. And yes, I was right. The Titanic is 882.75 feet long. And yes, Yamato was certainly a very wide ship. And it was a decently long one, but it did not have the uh, draft-to-length ratio that... Or uh, beam-to-length ratio that the uh, Iowas did. They were certainly more uh, sleeker than... Or they were certainly sleeker than the uh, Japanese Yamato-class battleship was. Uh, and so the length comes out to 263 meters. The beam is going to be 38.9 meters, or 127 feet 7, or 127 feet 7 inches. The draft is 11 meters, or 36 feet 1 inch. Uh, so powers was two Kempon boilers, with, producing 150,000 shaft horsepower. Uh, and that was driven, uh, that was delivered to four shafts, uh, powered by Ford steam turbines, and it gave the ship a maximum speed of 27 knots. Maximum range is only about 7,200 nautical miles at 16 knots, which is a decently large range and a decently fast speed for a battleship of her size. She had a complement of 3,233, and her armament in 1941, so as commissioned, was three triple turrets of 460 centimeter, or 46 centimeter, 460 millimeter guns, uh, and that was 18.1 inches. And so the reason why that's uh, special is because, especially in World of Warships, all the, uh, I guess, Western uh, guns, and even the Soviet ones, have 18-inch guns. So that's a 457 millimeter shell. The Yamato has an 18.1-inch gun, or 460, and in World of Warships, that 3mm makes all the difference. In practical use, it wouldn't really make any difference. Well, it would make a negligible difference. Uh, but in World of Warships, uh, game mechanics make that 3mm, or, yeah, yeah, 3mm is very important. Jeez, I can do math, I promise. Uh, she carried four triple 155mm guns, four 627mm uh, guns, four triple 25mm AA guns, and two twin 13.2mm AA machine guns. By the time she was sunk in 1945, uh, she's retained her triple 46cm guns, the 460mm. Uh, she only had two triple 155mm guns. She had 12 twin 12.7mm uh, guns. Uh, she had 162 25mm guns. The really ineffective Japanese 25mm guns, they just did not have enough power to deal with American aircraft. So that's partially why the uh, Japanese were harassed so heavily by uh, American aircraft. I mean, everyone was harassed by aircraft in the war, but uh, the Japanese certainly had a less effective means of dealing with them. And then she had four 13.2mm AA machine guns. The waterline belt had or 410mm of armor. I don't know where I got 100 from. Uh, that's 16.1 inches. The deck had 200 to 226.5 millimeters of armor. Yes, uh, in the game she has 60 millimeters of armor. Just this, to say they had to nerf that to ensure that the Yamato was not completely overpowered was a bit of an understatement. Because as the game mechanics go in World of Warships, Yamato would be incredibly overpowered. Uh, now, as far as the actual World War II and how it played out with uh, carrier aircraft and things like that and using speed rather than just raw firepower and armor, the Yamato wasn't actually that effective of a ship. Some would actually say it was rather pointless, but in the game it would be super overpowered, so I had to nerf that. The gun turrets, they have 650mm of armor on the face. She did carry seven Nakajima E8N or Na Nakajima E4N spotter aircraft. Uh, in her, that would be launched with two catapults. If you actually go in game, she does have a large flight deck on the stern and especially on the fantail of the ship. So she was uh, tested on sea trials in 1941 and did actually reach a top speed of 27.4 knots, which I think is amazing that you can get 60,000 tons of ship moving that fast. Uh, and she was actually given priority as the war loomed uh, when construction 
this uh, accelerated construction and essentially meant that she could be commissioned months before usual before was planned and was usual for battleships and on the 16th of December of that year however it would not actually be until 1942 particularly February that the Yamato would actually become part of a larger force she became the flagship of Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto's combined fleet uh, this fleet would actually participate in its first action on the 27th of May, or at least start to participate on its first action. It would wait until June when the Battle of Midway actually commenced. Uh, this was disastrous for the Japanese Navy. They lost four fleet carriers and 332 aircraft. Their Navy would never recover from this defeat, uh, which was inflicted almost or six months almost to the day after Pearl Harbor. And uh, this was all commanded from the Yamato's bridge. Uh, she was too far away to take part in the actual engagement, however, and Yamato's life was fairly boring until she was eventually pressed into service as a transport ship in December of 1942, or 1943, excuse me. And she, while troops and equipment, was struck by a torpedo from the USS Skate, it's spelled skate, it's probably Skate or something like that. It's a uh, bailout class submarine, so they're all named after fish. Uh, about 180 nautical miles out to sea. Uh, skate fired four torpedoes at Yamato and actually landed home with one. This one uh, landed 16 feet below the top of her anti-torpedo bulge and ripped a hole 82 feet across. Uh, this allowed Yamato to take on 3,000 tons of water, and she, however, was able to continue to her destination and effect temporary repairs. In early 1944, Yamato returned to Japan to effect permanent repairs for the large hole that was sitting in her hull from the torpedo that had been landed by the skate, and was actually modernized as well. She received a plethora of AA guns, and some of her larger guns were dismounted as they were seen as currently ineffective in the current war scene. Yamato did participate in the Battle of the Philippine Sea, better known to U.S. viewers as the Great Mariana Turkey Shoot. Uh, however, it was not in a significant fashion. Her most significant contribution was accidentally opening fire on returning Japanese aircraft. However, no casualties were noted on the Japanese side. Following the battle, she withdrew to the mobile fleet to Hiro Hiroshima staging. And I think that's how you say it. To refuel and rearm, she received more anti-aircraft weaponry, more effective 25mm anti-aircraft weaponry. An opportunity was taken to, quote, put in place emergency buoyancy keeping procedures. Uh, basically, let's throw out all this flammable crap, have the men sleep on boards, and then we'll coat all of our flammable paint in silicone-based overcoat to prevent them from, you know, catching fire in the event that we're bombed like all of our other ships have been. Uh, so, essentially, they had also added more portable pumps and firefighting apparatuses in hopes of, uh, you know, conducting effective, uh, damage control, uh, measures, uh, which, you know, still wouldn't really matter in the end for the Yamato, but, uh, this, this was, I guess, sort of in vain. I just can't imagine, uh, existing in the heat of the South Pacific in a ship with no air conditioning, at, well, in a large battleship with no air conditioning, sleeping on an actual plank of wood. That had to be absolutely miserable. And in the end, you would be ferried by that giant tin can that, you know, is musty, smells like, you know, probably the an, atro an atrocious amount of body odor and being ferried to your death, quite literally. And we'll get into that later, but, I mean, they use this thing as basically a beach shore battery in front of the whole U.S. Pacific fleet. Or, well, most of it, anyways. Yamato did participate in the Battle of Leyte Gulf, and between the 22nd of October and the 25th of October 1944, she became a part of Takeo Kurita's center force. And this was, you know, going to be one of the largest surface engagements of the war, if not ever, in all of history. This was in response to the American invasion of the Philippine Islands, and uh, Yamato was actually given a coat of black camouflage. So if World of Warships decided to release a black camouflage of Yamato, this would actually be accurate. This was used to transit the San Bernardino Strait at night, and the soot was actually taken from her smokestacks and mixed into paint as the primary pigment to paint the entire ship black. Uh, and I know I'm giving Wargaming bad ideas, but I think a black Yamato would actually look pretty cool. 
Uh, en route to Leyte, the force was attacked in the Palawan Passage on the 23rd of October by the submarines USS Darter and USS Dace, uh, which sank two Tycho-class heavy cruisers, including the flagship Atago, and this also damaged a third. Uh, the Admiral Kurita did survive the loss of Attico and actually transferred his flag to Yamato. And following the day of battle of the Battle of the Subian Sea, uh, the center force was damaged badly with the loss of another heavy cruiser, and this eliminated a substantial part of the fleet's anti-aircraft defense. This was shown when a carrier aircraft from USS Essex struck Yamato with two armor-piercing bombs and scored one near miss. This resulted in Yamato suffering moderate damage. However, Yamato was not actually the focus of the strikes. The focus of the strikes was her sister ship, IGN Musashi. Uh, she took 17 bombs and 19 torpedoes. This proved to be a fatal blow to the ship, and she sank later. Possibly the most interesting engagement of the Japanese battleship Yamato was the battle off Samar. So, unknown to the Japanese Admiral Kurita, the main American battle group had actually departed the area, believing that Admiral Kurita's force had been sufficiently repulsed by the walloping they had received from the American carrier Essex. Uh, he sent most of his uh, force to chase a decoy, uh, which consisted of one Japanese aircraft carrier, the Zukaku, to three light carriers, the two Ise-class battleships, which were now hybrid battle carriers, and their escorts. The deception was a complete success. The American Navy bought this hook, line, and sinker, and sent five fleet carriers, five light carriers, 600 aircraft, six fast battleships, eight cruisers, and 40 destroyers. Actually, more than 40 destroyers. After this, what, one, four, six ships? And, and escorts, so probably like, you know, 15 ships. They sent literally their whole fleet. Uh, they only left some light carriers and some landing ships and a few destroyers back behind. Uh, this was simply to support the landings. None of these ships were ever actually supposed to engage enemy combatants. This group would be known as Taffy 3 and has achieved great fame in the decades since. So, under the force of the cover of darkness, Admiral Kurita transited the San Bernardino Strait and achieves complete surprise uh, with Taffy 3. They were caught completely unprepared. However, they put up a ferocious fight. Uh, Yamato scored her first and only confirmed main battery hits on the carrier USS Gambier Bay, and this was the only surface action that Yamato would actually ever engage in in her career. Uh, she was forced to steer away from the fighting to avoid a spread of torpedoes that was fired at her, and was actually unable to rejoin the battle due to her poor maneuverability. Uh, the American surface combatants were armed with only torpedoes and 5-inch guns, and were under attack by a force that should have completely walloped them. However, due to the ferocity of the, uh, of the resistance put up by the American combatants, Admiral Kurita mistakenly believed, and this was supported by false reports from Japanese intelligence, that he was fighting a full American, con uh, American surface fleet. And uh, he believed that he was actually fighting fleet carriers rather than simply escort carriers. This resulted in Kurita mistakenly believing that he was fighting a superior enemy force and actually departing from the action. It was uh, pretty interesting. Yamato emerged from the battle without serious damage. She has suffered only three near misses from bongs and 17 casualties were strafing. And this was the most casualties that would actually been suffered by Yamato during the battle itself. Uh, carrier strikes continued as the um, as the Japanese force retreated, and uh, William Halsey, the uh, admiral in command for the U.S. Navy, quickly realized his mistake and was uh, uh, turned around, essentially just gunned it back to uh, where Taffy 3's location was. But they arrived far too late to engage in any action. Uh, but this was also part of the reason why the, the Japanese decided to leave. Uh, Three heavy cruisers and one light cruiser were subsequently lost by the uh, the American onslaughts. Uh, the center force sank one American uh, escort carrier, two destroyers, and a destroyer escort. And a second uh, escort carrier was lost by kamikaze attack after the surface engagement had actually closed. So it was a dear price that was paid by the Americans, but they did manage to protect their landings, which was their 
uh, well, not primary objective, but certainly an objective that they had, and it was certainly an impressive feat. It was actually noted that one of the destroyers, USS Johnson, put up such a resistance that a commander of a Japanese destroyer was seen saluting on his uh, own conning tower when, uh, w- or while viewing the uh, American destroyer sinking, seeing it as a, a worthy comp- uh, opponent, sort of like a samurai-style fight, which is what the Japanese primarily believed was going to happen. It's just like a, a giant showdown, uh, two samurais, the uh, American Navy and the Japanese Navy would be facing each other, and it would kind of be an on-rail fight to the end. That's not actually what happened. We, the American Navy more just more or less just walloped them. But uh, yeah, this is very much what they believed in. Well, returning to Japan, uh, USS Sea Lion, this was following the engagement of the Battle of Samar. Uh, While returning to Japan, Yamato and the remnants of Kurita's force were attacked by the USS Sea Lion. The battleship Kongo and destroyer Urakazi were lost in the attack, and Yamato was in Daidrak for repairs uh, after returning to Japan. The next operation that Yamato would take part in was Operation Tengo. While docked in Kure, uh, there was actually an American uh, attack that occurred. Uh, t- the task group uh, TG-58.1 attacked at Kerr Harbor. Uh, 16 warships were actually hit. Yamato sustained only minor damage. Uh, there was a number of near misses, and one bomb did actually manage to hit home in the bridge. Uh, but the intervention by Kawas- Kawanishi, geez, I can't say these names, Kawanishi N1K1 Shiden fighters, and this was nicknamed George by the Allies, uh, flown by veteran Japanese fighter instructors. You know, uh, this is significant, though, because most of the Japanese fighter pilots at this stage in the war were essentially new. They had no combat experience, were just being trained as fast as they could. Uh, so these veteran fighter pilots were certainly an issue for the Allies because they had eliminated most of those uh, early in the war. Uh, so these veteran fighter pilots actually prevented the raid from doing too much damage, and uh, this was also aided by Yamato's uh, limited ability to kind of shift in the uh, Nasami channel. Nasami? Nasami. Nasami channel. Uh, this made it harder for Allied bombers to actually uh, hit the Yamato repetitively and resulted in a large amount of near misses that did cause some shrapnel damage, uh, but nothing really more than that. This was immediately preceding Operation Tengo, as I alluded to before, which was essentially the last-ditch effort of the Japanese Navy. Uh, The final step before the planned invasion of the Japanese mainland was the invasion of Okinawa. Okinawa uh, was essentially the last stepping stone that the Allies needed before they could uh, finish the war. Uh, This was uh, without knowledge of the atomic bomb, uh, as the atomic bomb at the time was the highly, highly classified project, or the most classified project of the U.S. military at the time, so most of the U.S. military didn't actually know about it, including a lot of these commanders. Uh, the Imperial Japanese Navy's response was to organize Operation Tengo, which was essentially the, uh, everything that the Japanese had remaining was going to go to Okinawa to try and stop this. Uh, this obviously, the, the war was decided at this point, and Japan was just trying to do their best to defend themselves. Yamatoa 9 escorts, uh, in concert with kamikaze units and Okinawa based units, were to attack the uh, Allied forces assembled on and around Okinawa. Yamato would actually be beached as an unsinkable gun emplacement and would continue to fight until completely dismembered and destroyed. In preparation for the mission, Yamato took on a full stock of ammunition on the 29th of March 1945. According to the Japanese plan, the ships were supposed to take on only enough fuel for a one-way voyage, but 60% capacity was issued by the authority of uh, local base commanders in Kure, and they were designated the Special Attack Force and left Tokayuma uh, at 320 uh, or 1520 hours on the 6th of April 1945. However, the Allies had been sneaky again and actually intercepted and decoded radio transmissions originating from the Japanese Navy offices, and they learned the particulars of Operation Tengo. Further confirmation of Japanese intentions came around at 8 p.m. on that same day when the special uh, Surface Special Attack Force navigating the, the Bungo Strait is it Bungo? Bungo Strait was spotted by the American submarines Threadfin and Hackleback. Both reported Yamato's position to the main carrier strike force, but neither could attack because of the speed of the Japanese ships, which was an incredibly fast 22 knots. 22 knots for uh, a task force is actually really fast, especially for a, a task force that has a battleship that can only do 27 knots. 
they're extre- they also were ex- zigzagging in a rather extreme fashion, which just made engaging too risky. So the submarines decided just to report the position and sink back into the darkness. The Allied forces, in addition to this, braced for an assault from the uh, Japanese battleships. So uh, they actually committed seven battleships, uh, or excuse me, six battleships, which were already in the sector for a short bombardment mission to re-gear and prepare for surface action against the Yamato. They were intent on sinking this thing whether before it got to Okinawa, and they were going to commit every resource necessary to do so. Uh, they saw this, uh, although this was a rather archaic way of carrying out a battle, it was certainly a very dangerous asset. And if it actually got close enough to American surface units, particularly vulnerable transports and landing craft, this could deal some serious damage, if not halt the operation. The Japanese would end up paying the ultimate price for their battleship either way, but it could cause some serious problems for the ally, or for the Allies. Uh, so, in addition to this, Admiral Mark Minster's uh, aircraft carriers were also put at the ready to, well, put the Yamato out of its misery. Yamato's crews were at gen- general quarters and ready for anti-aircraft action by dawn on the 7th of April. The first Allied aircraft made contact with the surface special attack force at 0823. Two flying boats arrived thereafter, and, and for the next five hours, Yamato fired a common Type 3 or Beehive shells at Allied seaplanes which were a form of incendiary uh, ammunition, and I believe these actually were fired off the 460s. Yes, they were actually fired off the 460s. So yes, these 460mm main battery guns were used as incendiary rounds, or anti-aircraft rounds. Essentially, these were just fused shells that were just meant to explode in the various in a, the same postcode as these Allied aircraft in hopes that the sheer concussive force and shrapnel would be able to take them out. It wasn't really successful, but, um, I mean, it, it certainly made them follow from a longer distance. And this was, uh, it, it couldn't prevent them from totally shadowing the, uh, carrier, or the carrier, the, the Yamato, but it did certainly prevent them from following as closely. Uh, Yamato obtained her first radar contact with aircraft about, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. And an hour later, American F-6F Hellcat fighters appeared overhead to deal with any Japanese aircraft that might appear. Uh, there were no Japanese aircraft left to appear, so this really wasn't that much of a problem. However, at, uh, 12.30 in the afternoon, the Japanese would have very, very large problems on their hands. Notably, the 280 bomber, or traditional bomber, and torpedo bomber aircraft that arrived over the Japanese force. The Asashimo, uh, which was one of the destroyers that had fallen out of the formation with uh, engine trouble, proved that, yes, the slow do get eaten by the bear first. It was caught and sunk in short order by a detachment of aircraft from the USS San Juanito. The uh, surface special attack force increased speed to 24 knots and followed the Japanese anti-aircraft defensive measures, uh, which told the destroyers to actually circle the Yamato in an attempt to confuse the Allies and draw a fire and possibly even serve as sort of a meat shield for uh, the Yamato. The first aircraft swooped into attack at 1237. The Yahagi, IGN Yahagi, which I believe is actually, yeah, it's actually in World of Warships as well, uh, turned and raced away at about 35 knots in an attempt to draw off some of the attackers. Uh, this was proven ineffective, and Yamato uh, did begin taking fire. She was not hit for four minutes, but at 1241, two bombs uh, did manage to find their marks and obliterated two 25mm anti-aircraft mounts and blew a hole in the deck. Third bomb then destroyed her radar room and a starboard aft 127mm mount. Uh, I'm literally going to have to read verbatim off the action report here because a lot does happen here. At 12.45, a single torpedo struck Yamato far forward on our port side, sending the shockwaves throughout the ship. At 12.46, another two bombs struck the battleship's port side, one slightly ahead of the aft 155mm centerline turret, and one right, right of, on top of the gun. These caused a great deal of damage to the turrets and its magazines, and only one man survived out of the whole turret crew. Because many of the ship's crew who did not go down with a vessel were killed by strafing aircraft as they swam in oily water, the details remain uncertain. Yeah, so it it was pretty cruel what the Allies were doing here. Uh, These men had jumped off the ship and were actually swimming in burning oily water, only to be strafed by the 50 caliber Brownings and other various cannons that were mounted on fighter aircraft. Yeah, but I guess you can understand the hatred that the Allies had for the, the Japanese at this point in the war due to the various atrocities that they had committed and, you know, 
Pearl Harbor and everything. Because, uh, uh... Details remain uncertain. Authors Gartsky and Doolin had to dig a little bit to record the little damage that was caused. Shortly afterward, up to three more torpedoes struck Yamato. Two impacts, one on the port side near the engine room and one on the uh, and on one of the boiler rooms, are confirmed. And the third is disputed, uh, but is regarded as pretty probable as it would explain the reported flooding in Yamato's auxiliary steering room. The attack ended short after only 17 minutes at 12:47 leaving the battleship listing 5 to 6 degrees to port, um, which forced the Japanese to engage in counter-flooding, which is essentially just deliberately flooding uh, ballast tanks and other compartments on the ship to try and balance out a list, uh, reduced the list to just 1 degree. One boiler room had been disabled, slightly reducing the Yamato's top speed, in addition to you know the thousands of tons of water she had taken on. And this strafing incapacitated many of the gun crews who manned Yamato's unprotected 25mm anti-aircraft guns. Uh, this obviously uh, curtailed their effectiveness to a great degree. The second attack began just before 1 o'clock in the afternoon. A coordinated strike dive bombers, uh, or in a coordinated strike, dive bombers flew high and began their runs while the torpedo bombers approached from all directions just above sea level. This was done to split the Yamato's anti-aircraft fire, which was already poor because a large amount of the anti-aircraft gun crews had been killed in strafing. Um, uh, it, it drew away most of their their fire, and it made it so that they couldn't cluster their fire, and it was uh, overall less effective. Overwhelmed by a number of targets, the battleship's anti-aircraft guns were ineffective, and the Japanese tried desperate measures to break up the attack. Uh, like I said, the 460s, once again, were using their beehive shells, a diffused explosive, uh, one second after firing, which meant that they opened up just a mere 1,000 meters uh, from the ship and had little effect. And essentially, they were firing these so soon to, in hopes that the velocity of the shells would spread the uh, shrapnel further and try and take out a few of the uh, American bombers. This really didn't pan out for the Japanese, so fortunately or unfortunately, the anti-aircraft firepower of the Yamato was very ineffective at this point. A uh, minimum of three torpedoes and possibly a fourth torpedo struck the battleship in this attack and uh, were close together on the port side. One struck a fire room that had already been hit, one impacted a different fire room, and a third hit the hull adjacent to the damaged outboard engine room, increasing the water flow into that space and possibly even flooding nearby locations. The fourth unconfirmed hit may have struck after the third uh, hit, and this would possibly expand the rapid flooding uh, reported in that location. This attack left Yamato in what would be considered by most individuals, especially those associated with the Navy, in a rather perilous position. She was currently listing about 15 to 18 degrees to port. Uh, Counter-flooding all of the remaining starboard void spaces lessened this to mere 10 degrees. So even with all the possible spaces they could flood flooded, they had a still 10 degree list. Further correction would have required repairs or flooding the starboard and engine and fire rooms, which at this point were deemed essential. Although the battleship was not yet in danger of sinking, this list meant the main battery was unable to fire and her speed was limited to 18 knots. This was effectively what is considered in air or in aeronautical terms a mission kill. Uh, this didn't, this means that you didn't actually kill or destroy the enemy combatant, but you made it impossible for them to uh, finish their mission. So this is like if uh, interceptors or fighter bombers who are currently acting as bombers, you know, loaded with bombs, are forced to drop their bombs prematurely away from the target in order to engage enemy combatants who are trying to uh, engage them in a dogfight to make themselves more maneuverable. So they drop the weight, which, you know, makes it so that they can't complete their mission. So you've effectively, if you're trying to defend a base that they're bombing, if they have to drop their bombs to uh, engage you and these bombs don't hit the target, you've effectively made it impossible to complete their mission. And it's effective as a kill in that situation, although you didn't actually remove the enemy combatant from any form of combat permanently. So the Yamato could not uh, engage her mission of trying to stop the Allied forces uh, in Okinawa because none of her main battery worked due to the massive amount of flooding that occurred. And in a classic way, that proves a third time is the charm. 
a third attack was employed, and this started at around 1.40 p.m. Four bombs hit the ship's superstructure and caused heavy casualties among the remaining 25mm anti-aircraft gun crews. Yes, these people really could not get enough of the shrapnel, apparently. Many near misses drove uh, into her outer plate and compromising her defense against torpedoes. Uh, essentially, so these near misses peppered her with so much shrapnel and things like that that it compromised the integrity of her outer armor plating and torpedo bulges. Uh, some of these torpedo bulges were actually flooded as well, which meant that uh, any uh, torpedo impacts would, you know, not be or would be uh, not as effectively stopped by anti-torpedo protections. Uh, the more serious, however, were more torpedo impacts. Precisely four of them. Three exploded on the port side, increasing water flow into the port inner engine, inner engine room further, and flooding yet another fire ribbon steering gear room. With the auxiliary steering gear room underwater, the ship, ship lost complete maneuverability completely and became stuck in a starboard turn. The fourth torpedo most likely hit the starboard outer engine room, which, along with three other rooms on the starboard side, was being counter-flooded to reduce the port list. So, um, they hit a room that was already being flooded by the Japanese, so they just made the Japanese made the Japanese job easier in counter-flooding, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. It didn't really matter, though, because they were currently stuck in a starboard turn, and uh, they, you know, were, were not going to be able to do anything anymore. And uh, so the torpedo strike accelerated the rate of flooding and actually trapped many crewmen uh, and gave them what would be a very miserable death. Uh, drowning. Drowning is uh, possibly one of the most, you know, uh, hopeless types of death that can be inflicted on a person, especially when they're trapped in a uh, steel can that weighs 70,000 tons and has 600 millimeters of armor, meaning that there is quite literally no escape. At 2.02 p.m., the order was given to abandon ship. By this time, the Yamato speed had dropped to a mere 10 knots, and her list was increasing. Even the Japanese knew that it was obvious that the Yamato was not going to make it out of this one. Fires raged out of control, and alarms of the bridge warned of critical temperatures in the forward main battery magazines. Protocol called for flooding the magazines to prevent explosion and pumping stations... Uh, had unfortunately been knocked out by this point, so there was no way that they could flood the magazines to prevent the these explosions. Three minutes later, at 2.05 p.m., the Yahagi sink, uh, the Yahagi sink, Yahagi sank, uh, being victim of 12 bombs and 7 torpedoes. At the same time, a final flight of torpedo bombers attacked the Yamato from her starboard side. Her list was now so severe that the torpedoes, which were set to a depth of 20 feet, struck the bottom of her hull, way below any torpedo damage, uh, damage protection. Uh... Uh, by 1420 or 220 p.m., uh, the power went out to her remaining 25 millimeter anti-aircraft guns, and uh, this this came as they were also beginning to drop into the sea. And uh, this power was outage was also uh, extended to the entire ship. Uh, three minutes later, at 1423 hours, Yamato capsized. Her main 46 centimeter or 460 millimeter turrets uh, fell off, and she rolled. Uh, as your old suction was created that drew swimming crewmen back towards the ship. When the roll reached approximately 120 degrees, two of her bow magazines detonated in a tremendous explosion. The resulting mushroom cloud was 3.7 miles or 6 kilometers high and could be seen 99 miles away or 160 kilometers on the Japanese mainland island of Kyushu. Yamato sank rapidly, losing an estimated 3,055 of her 3,332 crew, including a fleet commander, Vice Admiral Siichi Ito. The few survivors were covered by four surviving destroyers, which in turn withdrew to Japan. From the first attack at 1237 to the final explosion at 2.23, Yamato was hit by at least 11 torpedoes and 6 bombs. There may have been two more torpedo and bomb hits, but this is actually not confirmed. And the experience of the sinking ship was described by a Japanese survivor um, in a memoir that was translated to English as Requiem for the Battleship Yamato. Um, yeah, so, uh, due to the confused circumstances and incomplete information regarding the sinkings due to the large amount of fatalities that occurred, uh, during this time, it actually took until 2019 to discover most of these, uh, wrecks in the South China Sea. 
Um, and actually, for the Yamato, uh, it was the wreck was discovered in the 80s, but it, I don't believe it was actually confirmed until much, much later. But that is the end of the Yamato, uh, at least in the historical sense, and we will be moving on now to the World of Warships version of the Yamato, which is going to be a bit more brief, because uh, Yamato is a pretty simple ship to play, but let's get on over to there. Ah yes, so here we are, the Japanese battleship Yamato. So we're going to go over the basic specifications, uh, this is without any upgrades or commander skills applied at all. And uh, so let's start with the main battery. You still have those wonderful 9-460mm 45 caliber Titan 94 guns. They're going to have a range of an astonishing 26.63 kilometers. They got a base reload time of 30 seconds, uh, 180 degree turn time of a colossal 60 seconds. These things turn so slowly, it's, it's hard to even describe it. That's 3 degrees a second. The Sigma on these is 2.10, which is very, very good. Yamato is known for its tight shell groupings. The dispersion horizontal is also pretty good, especially for 26 kilometers at 276 meters horizontal. Vertical, that's 221 meters. The vertical, we would like to see a little bit lower because uh, it would allow... Uh, uh, less shells to overshoot and fall short of the ship, especially, this is especially useful if you're shooting at broadsides, uh, but, you know, not really much to complain about, I suppose, when you're firing an 18.1-inch gun. She does come with HE bomb airstrikes for her depth charges, her secondary armament is negligible, uh, her anti-aircraft defense is also negligible, she has a survivability, uh, hit points of 97,200. Uh, the fires do last 60 seconds. They'll do 17,496 damage of fire. She has a fire probability reduction of 50%. Uh, and her flooding lasts for 40 seconds. 19,440 damage will be inflicted by each flood. Uh, probability of flooding is 15%. Uh, damage reduction on torpedoes is in world-class, 55%. Uh, certainly something to write home about there. What's not to write home about is her 17.46km concealment, which blooms to 19.27km when firing main guns in smoke. Yes, that's the smoke firing penalty, is 19.27km, so you will always be spotted in this. She could be seen from the air from 12.79km away. She has a maximum speed of 27 knots, as is prototypically accurate. She has a turning silver radius of an impressive 900 meters. For a ship of her size, I would expect it to be more of like 1,000, but 900 meters is, is not great by any means, but certainly I would expect it to be longer normally. So it's, it's pretty impressive for her size. Um, certainly not going to be avoiding many torpedoes in this ship, though, with the 22.1 second rudder shift time. Yes, uh, this is a battleship. This is certainly a battleship. It is. Uh, it acts every way like a battleship. Her damage control party is standard. It has cooldown time of 80 seconds and an action time of just 10 seconds. Her heal is also standard. She has four of them. They'll uh, heal not 0.5% of the HP uh, per second. It has a cooldown time of 80 seconds and an action time of 28 seconds. Uh, she can be equipped with either a fighter or a spotting aircraft. Uh, for the memes and the lulls, I suggest... Uh, uh, equipping a spotting aircraft that is going to extend her main battery range by 20%, which will give you a 30km firing range, or an excess of 30km. The number of consumables is going to be 4. It's going to have a 240 second cooldown timer and a 100 second action timer. Yeah, realistically, you should probably equip a fighter, although although um, the spotting aircraft is useful for seeing over islands. Uh, the fighter would enhance your anti-aircraft defenses, but I find them not to be super effective. I mean, pro to, like technically, you, you should use it, but eh, no one uses it. Everyone uses the spotting aircraft because seeing over islands is cool and uh, sniping carriers from across the map is even cooler. Because remember, you do overmatch a lot of their plating, especially those tier 8 carriers. Now the tier 10 carriers, not as much because, you know, 60mm uh, deck plating on carriers go burr. But anyways, um, the upgrades for this ship. We're going to equip the main armaments modification 1. Then we're going to go to uh, probably damage control uh, system modification 1. That's what I have on... Uh, then for the next one, you can do what you want. You can do main battery modification too to get that turret burst speed up. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you, you can do that and you'll get a, 
what is it? It brings you down to a 52 second turret reverse. Whoa. Rather, I, I, I would just rather go with the aiming systems modification one to get that more accurate uh, fire. Then we're going to go to damage control system modification two in the next slot. Yes, you can upgrade the maneuverability, but you need to get that fire down from 20,000 damage, from almost 20,000 damage of fire. Uh, then after that, you can go with torpedo lookout system to increase the assured acquisition range of torpedoes. Um, which can be useful. It's like kind of a little bit of a passive hydroacoustic search, but Yamato is so immaneuverable that it's not worth it. Just go with concealment system so you can't be seen from the absolute moon. And then we're going to go with main battery modification three, which is going to further increase your tertiary first time. Uh, so it would actually go up to 68 seconds now, so more than a minute to get these turrets around 180 degrees. So basically, you pick a side with your turrets and you just leave them there. You turn the ship, not the turrets, because the turrets are not going to turn that fast. On the bright side, it does give you that 26.4 second uh, um, uh, reload time here. And as far as uh, Commander build is concerned, we're going to put Yamamoto Isoroku on here because having turret traverse that's enhanced is, uh, or greasy gears that's enhanced is very good. So we're going to go with uh, preventative maintenance, and then we're going to go with uh, the greasy gears. Then we're going to go with adrenaline rush. Actually, uh, okay, so I have both these skills on my commander, but as far as like what you want to get first, I guess it's really up to you. Adrenaline Rush is really useful for dishing out damage, but Basics of Survivability is also very useful. Um, so we'll put both of those on for a total of 9 points, I suppose. And then we're going to do Emergency Repair Expert, which is also mandatory. Uh, you can do Concealment Expert, uh, especially if you have some extra points. Uh, you do have a 15-kilometer concealment, which isn't great. Uh, fire prevention expert's also very useful. Um, I like priority target because I want to know uh, when, if I'm overextending and things like that. Obviously, you should be able to tell by the map, but certainly having a little reminder for you when you have a brain fart or something like that is very useful. Um, it's a standard battleship, so you can really you can really build it out to what you want. Um, emergency repair specialist for one point is also pretty useful. Uh, I see fire prevention expert is potentially being very useful as well. Uh, you could do uh, improve repair party readiness. Uh, you can do uh, super eight heavy HP shells. Yes, it can be useful. Uh, it's kind of cool when you get. Um, uh, oh, actually, you no. Know, I remember. I remember. I forgot to go over the exact characteristics of uh, each of Yamato's shells. So we're gonna have uh, 460 millimeter HE type zero shells. They're gonna have a raw DPM of 149,318. Actually, I should take um, I should take uh, the upgrades off of it real quick. Take main battery mod off of it. All right, so you're gonna have 131,400 DPM. Maximum damage is gonna be 7,300 on those AP or HE shells. Uh, you're gonna have 805 millimeters, uh, millimeter second, uh, meter per second velocity. The shells are gonna weigh an astonishingly 1,360 kilograms. They're gonna have a depth explosion of a pretty impressive four meters, an HE penetration of a Actually, kind of mediocre for the for the size of the gun. Uh, 77 millimeters of penetration. Burn probability is 35%. 460 millimeter AP uh, AP slash APC Type 91 shells are going to do uh, 266,000 DPM. Maximum damage is going to be pretty pretty impressive. Uh, 14,800. Actually, very impressive. The shell velocity leads a little bit to be desired. That's only 780 meters a second. They're gonna still. Are they gonna weigh for, uh, 1460 kilograms, which is impressive. They'll have the standard ricochet angles of 45 to 60 degrees, a depth explosion of a disappointing two meters, an overmatch of an amazing 32 millimeters of armor. But they do have an arming threshold of nearly 77 millimeters of armor, which means all those Smolensks are going to laugh at you as you overpen their citadels, which is not uncommon. That's you know all battleships, but I'm just saying it, it has a very large arming threshold. Fuse timer is a standard, not 0.33 seconds, and the the firing angles, they're actually pretty good, especially backwards. Uh, they're pretty amazing. Now now firing forwards, you you could get a little better, but there's really not too much to complain about here. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're roughly the same firing forwards and backwards. I believe that front turret has a little... No, uh, yeah, so roughly the same firing forwards and backwards. Uh, 
for the the uh, firing sectors. Anyways, back into the builds here. Let's uh, let's uh, rebuild the uh, gunfire control systems modification too. Uh, so yes, that for my build, I. You, you, you can take this many different places. Uh, I would certainly recommend doing uh, preventative maintenance to uh, grease the gears, uh, either adrenaline rush or basic survivability and emergency repair expert first, then go back and take priority target. And you could take fire prevention expert as well. Uh, so that'll allow you to have a reload of just 26.4 seconds, 180 degree turn time of a mere 55 seconds. These turrets are really whipping around here. Uh, yeah, so your AP or your HEDPM is going to be 149,310. Your APDPM is going to be an impressive 302,727. Uh, your survivability is going to be relatively similar, except for the fire and flooding. Uh, we didn't imply any hit point increases or anything like that. Um, actually, survivability expert is not a skill. Never mind, I forgot that. I always forget survivability experts not on battleships. Anyways, uh, so for your survivability, the fires are going to last just 43.4 seconds, which is down a mere 18 seconds, or 17 seconds, excuse me. Uh, and the probability reduction is going to be up to 57.2%. Uh, they'll do just 12,000 damage a fire. For flooding, you'll, they'll last 28.9 seconds, which is down 12 seconds. Uh, probability is still 15%. Your damage reduction hasn't been changed. You can up, by the way, you can up your torpedo damage reduction, but it's kind of pointless because it's so good on this ship already. Uh, damage uh, DPS per flood is just down down to 486, which means you'll only be doing 14,045. So essentially, having a flood is like having a fire with a base ship, and having a fire is, well, you know, significantly less than having a normal fire. Concealment is down to just 15.71 kilometers, which is... Very stealthy. I'm, of course, being sarcastic. It is not very stealthy at all. Uh, maneuverability really hasn't been adjusted because we haven't changed anything. Your damage control part is now going to last a whopping 11 seconds. The cooldown timer is going to be 77.6 seconds. Uh, your heal is going to last 30.8 seconds. You do get an extra charge of it. Uh, the cooldown timer is going to... Uh, the cooldown time is going to be 77.6 seconds. Also, we haven't adjusted... I forgot we haven't added our flags yet. Uh, how could I possibly forget? By the way, running the fire and flooding flags is absolutely mandatory in the ship, as of the flooding flag. Uh, speed flag is pretty useful, and the November Foxtrot consumable flag is also useful. So let's revisit those burn times. Burn time is down to 34 seconds, with just 10,000 damage. So you... you by f flying the, the burn flag, you reduce your, your burn damage by 4,000. And uh, for the flooding, it's down to just a 23.1 second duration or only 11,000 damage, which is really impressive uh, for the ship. Uh, your maneuverability, your speed is going to be up to 28.4 knots. We're setting speed records here. You're going to have a 0.6% HP per second on your heel. Uh, I didn't adjust the duration since I last set it. Uh, the... Consumable action time for spotting aircraft is going to be 100 seconds and 228 second cooldown time. We didn't adjust any of the uh, counts for the consumables there, or the charges, I should say. So how do you play this ship? Well, it's a bit interesting for Yamato, because Yamato really doesn't like getting in close. Except if you... Uh, I mean, I guess you have to be really, really careful, because Yamato has a critical weak spot. Like, every Death Star that's ever existed in uh, pop culture and video games, there is a weak spot to this. And it's the cheek armor. Right underneath the four turrets, uh, there is a weird armor formation in which, um, when you're facing an enemy it's actually very strong because if they penetrate your cheek armor it, there's a sloped plate or an angled plate that will ricochet auto ricochet off however if that enemy is slightly angled to either port or starboard side that plate straight into your citadel i think it's 400 no no it's like it's like 200 millimeters or something like that it's not strong it's not that big is flat to them you can penetrate it with des moines right i have citadel yamatos in des moines by using this trick right it's you if you're close range you do not under any circumstances whatsoever turn your uh turn to get that third turret to bear it doesn't exist as far as you're concerned if you turn to get that third turret to bear you will be deleted by anything with large guns even heavy cruisers heavy cruisers won't delete you but a heavy cruiser with the dpm of des moines will certainly uh make short work of you it's not going to outright just delete you in one salvo but it's not going to take long for him to finish you off at that um, 
at that angle. So certainly do not show that cheek armor, and its cheek armor can actually be exploited from a decent range away, which is why it's advisable not to approach closer than 12 kilometers to any target uh, in the Yamato. Yamato is certainly more of a sniping battleship, and I hesitate to say the word sniping because I don't mean sit at the back of the map on the, the A or J lines and just, just sit there and hit nothing, although I know you have to move closer, but do not really approach closer than 12 kilometers i mean ideally you want to be sitting around 14 to 17 kilometers for the yamato uh that's really where it shines but 12 kilometers i would say is the absolute minimum for the yamato you really do not want to approach any closer than that now there's another weakness in the yamato uh, this is more of an exploit, I would say, rather than like a, a prescribed armor weakness. Uh, by the way, this cheek armor weakness does kind of exist underneath the third turret, but it's not as pronounced as underneath the first turret, so it's really not too special to hit, because there's a larger gimmick in the Yamato. If you shoot at the after funnel, or I suppose there's only one funnel, if you shoot at the funnel from the stern, the funnel's angled in such a way that you will actually ricochet off the 32mm funnel, or... Well, actually, you know, it's a bit, yeah, that's the 32 millimeter funnel, and you will penetrate the citadel roof, right? Because World of Warships means that it states that that round is still live as it's ricocheting off of something, so it can still damage things. So it ricochets off that funnel and is literally funneled straight down into the citadel. I've seen it, it works from a decent range away, especially if you're knife fighting. If you're knife fighting someone, and even if you're within probably about seven kilometers of a particularly accurate ship, or or Petro Pavlovsk, or Dmitry Donskoy, or uh, was it Alexander Nevsky? Like you can you can get Citadel pretty severely by these in one salvo if they just aim for your funnel. So. There's as a Yamato, there's really not much you can do about it. You can try to not just try to not let them behind you. But as a uh, player is playing against the Yamato, it's certainly something to pay attention to uh, and use to your advantage. Now, uh, as far as actually playing the ship, it, you like I said, stick that at 14, 17 kilometer range. Don't really deviate from that too much, uh, and just. A, your team you're not a frontline battleship you do soak up some damage right you're you are a battleship but you're not meant to really tank too much now i like i said hesitate to say this again because people are like oh he said not to tank and then just sit at the back of the map or just like retreat the first sign of danger no you you can take damage but like don't overextend right because like you can kind of overextend in, in a in a gross occur first in in expect to at least at in some circumstances come out alive uh yamato that's not the case you will get burned to death you will get shot to death you will get citadeled you will get torpedoed you i mean even though it has really good torpedo damage reduction you can't expect this ship to really perform well on the front lines you're more of a i sit at 12 kilometers i i kind of literally just sit there and then whatever gets fired at me gets fired at me i'm not really really care too much about it but i'm also not going to really push in right away and attempt to scare the camp. I'm more just preventing them from pushing into me. So a really good strategy for Yamato is actually to face your nose away from uh, targets and just like set your speed to like four knots or something like that and just just keep firing. A assuming there's no there's not an obvious destroyer threat or not even obvious. Assuming there's not really a significant destroyer threat or um, obviously you're not being overrun, uh, it's a good strategy to use. And that way you can kind of sit there and your 460s will really uh, start working for you. And then so you'll you often beat the enemy team back and then you'll be able to push a little bit because the enemy team's in full retreat. Um, yeah, so you you definitely want to like stall their advance. Now, if you're if you're walloping people, like if no one showed up to the cap or or just on your side of the uh, standard battle, you're not really facing any resistance. Absolutely push. I'm not saying that you should never push in this thing. You just have to be more cautious. However, being too cautious can result in being 17 plus kilometers away from everything. And even though Yamato can reliably hit stuff out to 20 kilometers, uh, even 22 kilometers isn't too much of a challenge for the Yamato. Uh, you're certainly not going to be doing as much as if you were closer. So that's certainly something that you must take in mind when you are using the Yamato. It's it's a really it's a balancing act, and Yamato teaches you how to play most battleships. It's a it's a very I don't want to say basic battleship style because the skill ceiling is decently high with Yamato. You you can use it very effectively, but the skill floor is pretty low, and it allows you to learn how battleships work and like when to push, when to not push, when to retreat, and things like that. It's hard to explain because it does 
it does vary on the situation, but you, those few key points to apply. So, you know, don't sit in I, uh, the eye line. The ARJ lines, don't uh, push in right away. You're just going to get killed right away. Make sure to keep in mind where that cheek weak spot is. If someone's approaching closer than 12 kilometers, or even if they're sitting around that range, make sure you're hiding that from them as best you can. Do not let anyone behind you because they will use that funnel exploit, especially at close range. And uh, definitely support your team. You want to sit just a few kilometers outside those caps, maybe like probably about maximum of like 10 kilometers outside those caps under normal circumstances, and just keep those guns firing. That is pretty much... Yamato, you want to keep, you want to throw as much lead downrange as you can, or much. I think it's a steel penetrator, so as much steel as you can downrange. And Yamato, when played well, will do that absolutely. Even if you don't, Yamato is a pretty forgiving ship. You just can't overextend in it. So, uh, but yeah, just throw as much steel downrange as you can. Also, be careful about rotating your turrets because it does take a year and a half for them to get around. Uh, yeah, the, the next presidential election will happen if you uh, start turning your turrets around. Now, it's it's not. It's not anything that's going to happen quickly, so just keep that in mind. And I think that's just about it for this episode on the IJN Yamato. It's a very nice ship to play. Don't have any complaints about it. Totally worth the grind if you're thinking about it. So that just about wraps it up. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for future podcasts, please do. Which, by the way, I can't be 100% uh, guaranteeing that I will honor those requests. I do sometimes have agendas that I want to go over, but it's certainly nice to see uh, some feedback from the community as to what they want to see. Uh, with that, uh, that is going to conclude the episode. Please do email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com if you have any of those questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions. And that will be it for me. So until next time, captains. Captains.